listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 109, The Good Dinosaur, brought to you by Montana. All right. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts. I'm Morgan Stradling, and I'm joined with my lovely co-hosts, Mason Smith and Chelsea Robson. Konnichiwa to everyone. Hello. <laughs> if you hear a very faint Chelsea, uh, she is actually on the road. She is traveling from... Arizona to Las Vegas and literally stopped on the side of the road to join us for this podcast. So that's <laughs> for you. Well, she, yeah, she's dedicated and she, and she is risking uh, using casino Wi-Fi out there. So wow, let's wow. all cross our fingers. And the lack of silence means that we've lost Chelsea. So we will <laughs> go on so today we are really excited to be with you today we are talking about a, a very anticipated movie what pixar film is not anticipated and it's the good dinosaur by pixar so this is actually the second uh pixar film that we've had this year and i'm just really excited to talk about it because there are lots of great things about this film uh things i like things i don't like and we are going to jump right into it but before we do that we are going to do some one of our favorites here on the rotoscopers we are going to do a nerdy couch discussion discussion so if you're totally clueless with what's going on and you're a first-time listener this is the animation addicts podcast we are literally addicts of animation and there is no recovery from this addiction and uh so to for group therapy i guess we sit around and we talk about our love for animated films so think of us as three friends who are passionate about our love for animation and we are all here to discuss what we love about these films, what we don't love, and um, just kind of geek out on our our favorite storytelling medium, which is animation. Now, the nerdy couch discussion, if you close your eyes and picture us all on a couch in some living room just yakking away about random topics about animation, that's how this segment should feel. And though we are on uh, the virtual, uh, virtual nerdy couch, we we've saved a virtual cushion for you if you're listening <laughs> yeah that was unscripted that was ad-libbed um, so today so we've had a lot of nerdy couch discussions we'd have things like oh what animated character could beat this animated character or hey what do you think about this fandom do they annoy you or are they cool and today i thought that we'd do like a more pixar oriented one uh, I, I don't like most fandoms <laughs> we'll have to do another discussion on that um Okay, last Saturday, November 28th, I got this off the Reddits. The Good Dinosaur was rated the same as Brave and Monsters University on the tomato meter. Uh, right now, it is at 76% slash 74%, so like critics and audiences. And I think it's really interesting how 
uh, when you when you when you're on the Pixar scale, how the ratings jump from like 92 percent, 92 slash 72. That's Bugs Life to 78 percent and 76 percent for audiences with Brave. So it's like 92 to 78. So there's no in between. If you look on the tomato meter for Pixar films is like there's no film that the critics have rated like, you know, in the 80s. It's either they're awesome or they're meh. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a strange phenomenon. It's been interesting uh, as a like an animation student and lover of animation, how Pixar seems to be like held to a different standard by critics and viewers. So I wonder if you guys, I'm wondering if you guys agree with me or, or have anything input on this. Do you feel like Pixar films are held to a higher or stricter standard? by critics or viewers, which could account for this weird, like, I don't, I wouldn't call it a bell curve, but it's like two extremes. Like either it's really, really good or it's just kind of, eh. Well, which isn't necessarily an extreme. An extreme would be. Okay. An ex- okay. An extreme would be like 92 or 30. <laughs> but um, Although there is one that is like, that is rotten. Cars two is rated rotten on the tomato meter. Yeah, but for Pixar, a 70 is not good for them. It's a- Yeah, and so I followed into the, the whole thing. Like, I, I, I just considered 78% to be one extreme. <laughs> yeah. When it's really not that bad. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. This has been something that's been hotly debated in the animation and Disney Pixar community for a long time, is, is why is there this, sta- you know, this... It's like a high standard of deviation, standard deviation. Yes, theirs tends to skew more that way. Uh, and it, it's interesting because I think for so many years, basically almost a decade, they had hit after hit after hit. Um, all of their films universally were beloved. And, you know, even now, while people, um, maybe A Bug's Life, let's say, which is their second film, wasn't isn't necessarily in people's top anymore. It's still a great film and people love it. But yeah. I think... 10 years they just had all these classic mind-blowing amazing creative films that people loved and it really just they kind of shot themselves in the foot because now that's what people only expect from them is that equal level of greatness and you know no one's perfect and and the studio while i still think that it is quite great and they are quite revolutionary in what they do you know both visually and and story-wise you know you're not perfect everyone's human we are not robots and films are made by people and sometimes they hit more than others but it's it's interesting i feel like for maybe about two or three years ago around the time of cars two yeah two you know, right after Monsters Incorporate or Monsters University, that's where I feel this was most heightened, where there was a lot of comparison of Pixar to itself in reviews. They, you know, a reviewer or a critic couldn't help but mention, well, this ain't Toy Story or, or right. whatever. I feel now, since Inside Out, I think people are, are realizing that this is an issue that maybe we shouldn't be so hard on Pixar and be constantly comparing it to itself as if, you know, the movies can't stand alone. And I think people are being more conscious about how they discuss Pixar films in their reviews. And I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. I think it's, it's changing to where, um, for me, at least I, 
I cannot hear Chelsea. Well, she was there for a second. <laughs> oh. What do you think, Mason? Okay, what do I think? Okay, I think it's interesting how the good dinosaur is rated a little lower, like much lower on the entire like rating spectrum for Pixar when it was released so closely to Inside Out. I think Inside Out has been a big part of this whole debate. And this is, this. Uh, I mean, now we've got two, two Pixar films coming out in one year. And so like, what does the populace do? Like we've had Inside Out, which was an emotional roller coaster. Get it? Emotions, which was um, you know high on emotions, high on heart, high on humor, um, very creative visuals. And then you've got Good Dinosaur, which y you shouldn't even compare the two films. And yet we have this kind of um, we have this habit of like you were saying, comparing Pixar with itself. Like, was it better than Toy Story 3? You know, was it better than Toy Story 2, which has, you know, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, so does Toy Story 1, and then 3 is a 99%. <laughs> I wonder who the guy who voted it, not at, you know, who gave it the low rating that bumped it down to 99%. Is, is he proud of himself? <laughs> is he happy with what he's done? Ain't you tired? To quote the help, ain't you tired? But anyway, um, I think one of the biggest discussion points is its release date's proximity to Inside Out. I think it was too soon, and I mean, it was soon enough to where we were like, hmm, I still remember, I still have that after Inside Out glow, so I'm going to compare the Inside Out to it. Mm, no, definitely not as good as that. There goes down, there goes the rating. Or did people genuinely and objectively rate it as a standalone film so in, in i think my, if we if we could sort through oh sorry go ahead no yeah in my review i i made a conscious effort i mean as i was writing it it, it never actually came up but i think that i was kind of consciously saying okay like there's no need to compare this to inside out like yeah right it's not inside out but why do i need to talk about inside out would i do that for any other film if this were a touchstone pictures film or a Disney, film. <laughs> you know, um, you know I, I maybe understand when you're comparing a film. To it's like, uh, it's like, all right, how to train your dragon three is coming out, but is it better than Sinbad? Yes. You know, <laughs> not, not a fair comparison, but, um, so I specifically did not do that in my review because I, I didn't see the point and I just objectively looked at it from, or, you know, subjectively, because again, my, but I, I, and whoa, whoa, robot and Chelsea interrupting the podcast again. I'm sorry. We're, I was, we're holding I was, Chelsea to as high a standard as we hold Pixar. <laughs> All right. Sorry, you can continue, Morgan. Okay. But, I forgot who was talking oh, at that Nathan, point. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, failed. <laughs> bloopers except it's live and we can't really edit it <laughs> but yeah um, final i totally lost my train of thought but um i guess chelsea we were just talking about if and if so why we tend to hold pixar to this high standard to where uh i guess we were talking about 
comparing the good um the good dinosaur to inside out you know they both mm-hmm. came out this year and people basing it off of that i have this kind of theory about the internet being this like wretched hive of scum and villainy where everyone thinks in terms of is this better than blank or worse than blank you know is yeah. what i like better than what you like or is it worse than what you like you know is my grammar better than your grammar (laughs) and so i think it has something to do with that we have this like self-competitive spirit uh, on how we evaluate things on the internet but i want to hear i want to hear what you have to say about it so for me as i because i was listening to a little bit before before i finally figured out how to make my phone work um Mm. so basically when i when i went into this movie i did not even mentally make the connection that this was a Pixar film. Like I went into this thinking this is an animated film. And I felt like that helped me a lot to not put, put it in that box of like, do I compare this to inside out? Do I compare this to toy story? Who, who do I compare this to? Um, so that being said, I, I felt like I was able to come at it with fairly fresh eyes, fairly, um, as far as not comparing it to Pixar, but yeah, it happens a lot and everybody tends to want to, I don't know. I think we all want to see this like perfect bookends of like every movie in here is 100% just like we did when it was during the Renaissance years. Like every yeah. movie during the Renaissance era was, had to be, Oh, boom, knocked out of the park, out of the park, out of the park. Um, and then it's just some on some movies in the Disney canon aren't the Renaissance. So, hmm. so you think it's just a naturally occurring phenomenon that the good dinosaur has been rated low, much lower than inside out. Well, no, I mean, I, I, or do you think there's really... bias because the two were released so close together? I don't think so. I don't, well, at least not for me. There could have been from from a lot of people, but no. Chelsea sounds like a robot. Chelsea sounds like a robot. (laughs) All right, all right. Well, at least I'm here. I think we'll discover in this podcast episode that the good dinosaur has things going for it, great things going for it, but I had some problems with it, and it wasn't the greatest Pixar film I've seen, though it was still a great film. And, you know, Pixar shines as always. It had some issues. <laughs> and um, and we'll, we'll talk about them. It. It's okay to talk about them. You know, I, I hold Pixar to a high standard, but um, nobody's perfect. You know, every studio has its hits and not so hits. <laughs> See, I'm afraid to call a Pixar film a miss. <laughs> Have we been, like, preconditioned to... to... Wait, go ahead, Morgan. Well, I mean, like, why do why do we ha- why can we not, you know, call a spade a spade? Why do we have to have this reverence for Pixar? Because some because some dude because like a couple weeks ago, some dude on the website I has I said something about Cars three or something like that, and he's like, oh, don't talk about John Lasseter like that. He's never gonna want to talk to you guys if you say bad things about him. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're here to just give our thoughts. A lot. Okay, of I am. We like no, no, no. 
Ojo, I am not one of those guys that's like anxiously awaiting the downfall of Pixar. Like I consider it a horrible, tragic <laughs> thing when any studio does not do as well because I believe in <laughs> not twirling my mustache over here and stroking my Jafar beard. Um, so I, twisted. I, yeah, I, I celebrate animation no matter what. I celebrate the the um, the uh, victories, you know, definitely. But anyway, so where's the, we'll future? About... the future of, you know, just this phenomenon of nobody knows Pixar being compared to itself and whatever led up or have they kind of just established themselves as forever greatness? Um, if one, a one thing I would definitely promote as a rotoscoper is to be objective and to praise good where it's found and condemn evil where it is found. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's there's no evil Pixar film, but just you know, don't don't be afraid to talk about things that worked and didn't work. Like they were pretty uh, they were pretty honest talking about this film. Like we'll get into it a little bit how it was delayed and stuff like that. But I mean, they were pretty honest with things like um, how it was delayed and how for a while the story just didn't work, and they had to let um, the original director off of the project and uh bring in peter Sohn. and so um it's it's very it's very interesting and of course you can't you can't really talk about the good dinosaur or you can't really understand the good dinosaur without understanding its long and crazy production history but first i want to talk about sanjay Super deep. <laughs> oh, I have I to watch my accents. Really I don't cool. want to be offensive. Yeah, don't do that. An Indian film. You can do an Indian accent. Yes, but can I just? I can't just pull out the quickie mark accent. It's offensive. <laughs> but if I do like a King Julian accent, it's okay because he's not really Indian. He's just that guy from Borat. But now he's like King of the Lemurs. <laughs> So I really enjoyed Sanjay. I thought it was, it had a lot of, um, well, I went and saw this, the whole movie with my nephews and they were not impressed. I'll tell you that, but they're like 10 and 11. So they're not really impressed with a lot of stuff. So yeah, we'll go with that. But I, I liked it. I thought that the, that the way that they kind of, the premise of the story I felt was, when your parents' ideologies become your own and that transition or even how parents can learn to um, to express their ideologies or to help teach a child in the language that they will understand. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it was cool. Well, I, I think it was more him teaching himself how to understand it. Yeah. I don't think uh, involvement yeah. because the dad took away all the toys, but it was him and his own imagination that kind of uh, mirrored something that he liked and ref- he portrayed that onto uh, the different gods and made them something that interested him, which ultimately, you know, we, we see will probably help him find more interest in his father's religion in the future you know, on a, a more 
sacred sort of way. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it was really interesting because you could tell through the storytelling that it wasn't just an interest in the religion. It was a interest in the father himself because you could see how disappointed and dejected um, Sanjay's father was um, to, to know that he wasn't you know, he wasn't uh, participating in these traditions and, and kind of catching on to the significance of these religious figures. And so I thought it was a very, very interesting short. I, I would call it bold that Pixar um, shared such a personal story and such a religious one also. And mm-hmm. I thought it was really cute how little Sanjay like connected with his dad at the end and super, super cute. Um, but much like I'll discuss in The Good Dinosaur, I thought there was weird stuff going on with, like, the lighting and rendering. Like, there's this part where they're, like, you know, the little imaginary temple is, like, very, very detailed. And it's got pretty, you know, the fidelity is pretty strong with, like, the the lighting and, and particles, like, dust and, and texture and stuff. And then when they start getting into action mode, you know, um, they're, um, it gets all kind of tune shaded. It's called a tune shader if, if you, you know, if, if you've ever worked in Maya, but it's kind of like a cell shaded technique where it's just kind of flashy, sleek, cool looking uh, surfacing on the characters. And then juxtaposing that with like the detail around the temple, like I just couldn't catch on to it. I guess it was, it was kind of like storytelling through lighting and, and texturing, which is kind of an interesting field to kind of creep into. And, um, but I, I don't know if that, if, if y'all noticed that, it kind of got kind of wind waker for a while in some of those shots. And I love a good tune shader. Don't you, don't, don't get me wrong, but it, it just didn't seem to fit in with the rest of the environment. I thought it was cute. I was like, mm, I wish that like the religious figures in my church had cool magic powers. <laughs> only believe use your imagination. <laughs> No, it was cool. The cool the thought that your superheroes could be these, these um, you know, these kind of cherished f- focus points of your religious belief system. I think that's a really cool, um, cool thing. Well, I feel like in a lot of like even Christians, they'll take Bible characters and they'll make you know superhero type you know, figurines for those. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever been to Deseret Books and saw a Captain Moroni action figure, you know, you could, you know what I'm talking about. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen somewhere in, like, Samson, and he, like, has, like, the jawbone as well. <laughs> oh, man, he was brutal. I mean, I've seen these things. So, obviously, it's not, like, just to one religion. It's, I think everybody has aspects of their of their culture that can be turned into these super figures. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Anyway, I thought it was cute. I liked it. I, I personally love that it did focus on a religious aspect, sort of a somewhat true story or based on real events or his real experience with him and his own father and his religion. And um, yeah. that Pixar went there and there was no, you know, they weren't ashamed. They weren't embarrassed. They told the story that they wanted to tell and it was great. And I haven't heard any pushback of being like, this is pushing religion on me that I do not want pushed on me. I eh. I mean, I, I feel that happens a lot with uh, our society nowadays where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, what's the alert that they have to put, you know, a trigger, trigger warning, alert, trigger <laughs> warning, you know, this might offend you if you're not this religion or whatever, you know, like that's, 
can be overboard at times, but I just love this story. It introduced me to a new culture, a new religion. It was an adorable story between a father and a son. It was very simple and I liked it. Yeah, it was cute. I liked it too. The Good Dinosaur. Better titles for this movie. Brought to you by Mason Smith. <laughs> Arlo's Quest. Okay. Little, dinos- little Dinosaur House on the Prairie. <laughs> a fistful of good dinosaurs and a fistful of bad dinosaurs. <laughs> a dino and his dog. Brave Dinosaur. <laughs> True Grit Asaurus. <laughs> Montana, colon, come live here. There's lots of room. <laughs> and finally, you can't keep a good dino down. <laughs> you can't keep a good dino down. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate those. Adam, I'm done. <laughs> I thought of those myself. I, I personally like uh, True Grit Asaurus. <laughs> Guys, it's a Western movie with dinosaurs. It was funny. It was it was funny. Yeah. I saw it last night. What are you, what are y'all's first impressions? What were y'all's first impressions? Morgan, you go first. So, um, ultimately, this movie is it's just good. It's cute. It's it's very simple. There are really some hilarious moments. There's some characters that I absolutely love and I want more. However, uh, it it was just good. It didn't really blow me away. I think the story was uh, things that we'd seen before, more or less, you know, kind of a journey going from one place to another. Uh, Yeah, so I'll talk about that. I I can't help but, you know, I'm not going to compare this film to Inside Out, but I can't help but compare this dinosaur migrations moving from one point A to point B story to other dinosaur films, such as <laughs> Dinosaur and The Land Before Time, which have similar sort of themes and whatnot. And it's it just makes me wonder, is this the only story that we can tell with dinosaurs is them moving places? I guess so. But yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, the name fits the movie perfectly. It's good. Okay, check this one out. Um, I found an even better name. This was a user submitted, a fan submitted one. Uh, We're not dead. A dinosaur story. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Well, I mean, that's pretty much the point of it. The dinosaurs have evolved to become the dominant smart species, and humans are now critters. You know, they haven't been around as long. Actually, all the mammalian animals in this uh, movie are. Uh, are a little more inferior in mm-hmm. um, in the smarts department. Oh, really funny! I was talking to some coworkers about this today because uh, it's a it's a joke in my office that what in one of my my boss's office, someone randomly put a Sharknado poster on his wall one day, and everyone thought it was hilarious. And so now people <laughs> randomly just put posters on his walls for random things. And so when I went and saw. The- <laughs> 
somebody was giving away a giant poster of the good dinosaur. And I'm like, you know what? This is my new thing. Every time I go to a screening and they're giving away a free poster, I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it on my boss's in his room somewhere. I'm going to tape it on the wall. And so I put the good dinosaur poster up there and we all had a meeting and people were commenting on it. And then, you know, one girl, she was like, you know, what was that movie? I heard it has an interesting premise. I heard it was kind of weird. I heard that the humans are, are kind of, kind of dumb and, and that's weird. <laughs> that is weird. And, and, and it was just funny that they kind of take it as that, like, oh, you know, I saw it as a very creative, you know, and I explained, no, it's, it's supposed to be a very creative way as if, if the asteroid missed the Earth and dinosaurs never died, how would Earth, how would society in this alternate universe? Uh, uh, uh. Uh, and in this one, dinosaurs evolved more than the humans. And I, she got it when I said that, but it was just funny that she was like, I heard it's kind of funky because the humans <laughs> Along that line, along that line, Crystal Delatore just proposed a new title: "How to Train Your Human." Gold. <laughs> that is a good one. Uh, so gold. All right, so Peter Sohn ended up being the final director for this film. He's one of those like animator, story artist turned voice actor turned director types. It's quite a leap. Woo, you know. But uh. I don't know. Like I said, in order to understand The Good Dinosaur, you must understand its production history, and it was a rough one. Like, mm -hmm. if you do your research, during, during production, like, there were director changes, there were layoffs at Pixar, there were story problems, uh, there were release date pushbacks for whatever reason, not to mention that the whole movie was eventually virtually reinvented. Like they got rid of a whole slew of voice actors that they were going to have. Uh, they were going to have, they were going to have Bill Hader, which shouldn't even come as a surprise. He's like, if you have an anim animated film, you have to assume that Bill Hader will star in it. He's already here. Guys, he's already here. Who, what's the character Bill Hader is going to play? We don't know. <laughs> Quick, invent a character because he's here. He's in the parking lot. He's walking in the doors. <laughs> he just has, he's got the, the notices every time. He just assumes it's him. All right, hey, guys. He's like, oh, there's a new animated film. I'm gone. I'm out. I'm going. I'm there. Free flight. Free flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I, there were some... I don't know. I think it shows. I think it's rough production history shows. Of course, Toy Story had a very rough production history. They didn't know what they were doing with the original Toy Story script. And or Toy Story 2. Or Toy Story 2. They didn't know what they were going to do, what direction to go with that. And then, you know, as we discussed, like, characters like Woody and Buzz Lightyear were so different and, and unappealing in those first drafts of the script that it would have been a disaster if they had eventually gone with that. And I know that Pixar is famous for stopping everything until they get the story right but I still think the movie lacks something. I just can't put my finger on it, mm -hmm. you know? And in the age of internet hyperbole, like obviously I'm being misinterpreted right now as being a Pixar hater, and I'm obviously not, but uh, we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> it's true though. I, as, you know, I felt like everything was going on really well, and then it was kind of in the ending that just kind of fell for me. Oh, the but ending for you, huh? Well, actually, no, false. Um, so going into this, Morgan had mentioned that it had reminded her of another movie. And I couldn't get that out of my mind at first. But then 
I was thinking, okay, is it just because I was ear poisoned by Morgan that I can't? Ear <laughs> I can't poisoned? Even... <laughs> telling you that, and then I was like, meh, well, here you go. <laughs> right, I know. But right at the certain part, okay, we're just gonna go out, right on the point when the dad dies, the girl in front of me was like, oh no, not Simba again. <laughs> I'm like, no. It was not. Did they literally yell that in the theater? She yelled, yes. She yelled it out loud, and I was like, That is so rude. How old was she? She was like, If she's older than three, then that's unacceptable. Okay, that's totally unacceptable. You don't yell in a theater. My gosh. We need to do like a YouTube video on this or a completely separate podcast episode on theater etiquette. You don't yell in a movie theater. No matter how witty you think your comment is, like that lady who was drunk and sitting behind me during the Age of Ultron, she thought everything was funny. I would love you to do a, a video on A this. PSA? Yes. Oh, I can get pretty nasty. I'll use, P, I'll use PG-13 rated language. Oh. And that's, that's saying something with how PG-13 movies are, so I digress. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I felt like there was a lot of it that felt too familiar and not in a way that made me want it to be that way. Like, I don't even think that they were trying to do it that way. Like trying to say, oh, let's, you know, reference Lion King right now. No, um, I think that they just, they, they just didn't know that they needed to change that so that it didn't specifically reference Lion King. All right, so let me just talk about this and talk about it. Get this let up. Morgan just talk about this. Let me just talk. So the Lion King references, I don't think it was necessary. Like uh, Peter Son did talk about how they wanted this to make feel like a, a classic animated film or whatnot, and, and it did. But I don't think they purposely went out with the intention to copy Lion King. However, the way that it, it came out, it just felt unoriginal because a lot of the scenes were almost mirror images. So I can think of three off the top of my head. All right. One is when he and the dad are having a great bonding moment at night and they are going the in fireflies the fireflies and the fireflies to me that's very old and you know they're they're playing around they're bonding it's a moment just between the two of them not the rest of the family and to me that is so much like in the lion king when mufasa and simba mufasa had just saved simba he was kind of punishing him they get over it they play and they look at the stars you know the stars can be you know <laughs> or even re rewind Rewind to the point where they are, he's showing them, and this is our our ranch, all the way to the far mountains. And I was like, hmm. Oh yeah, everything that light touches. Hey, what's that big pokey <laughs> rock out there? That's beyond our borders. We don't go there, boy. Look at the fireflies. Great kings, dinosaurs of the past look down from us from those fireflies. <laughs> There's those two things. This little squatty dinosaur comes up. I always thought they were little balls of gas. <laughs> I'm sorry, Papa doesn't even sound like that. He's voiced by the dude who was that one dude on the Hunger Games. <laughs> okay, so then next we go to the pivotal scene where the dad dies. And I feel I'm fine with the dad dying. You know, it yeah. happened. Totally but fine with it. I can deal with that. <laughs> the Lion King, it's in the the kind of the the canyon 
you know, very closed off on both sides. There's really no way out. And the stampede is coming from one side and basically trampling everything. And this was so similar. They were in kind of a canyon where the river was at the bottom, no way out. And then the river was coming almost as if it was a stampede of water. Uh, and, and, and on top of that, there's the scene where Simba is looking down at Mufasa, not directly where they're interacting, but in, you know, that movie, he's off to the yeah. But this was almost the same thing where the dad was looking up at him and all the son could do was just stare and watch. And again, I am totally fine with the dad dying. I just felt that scene needed to be restructured and repurposed and maybe set at a different angle and moved around and uh, something because- He should have fallen in a volcano. <laughs> Arlo, Arlo tripped him accidentally and he fell no. The resemblance was so similar that I couldn't really get over it. We even, we even get the spiritual epiphany with his father's spirit where he tells him, you know, yeah. remember who you are, Arlo. <laughs> Take care of that My boy. Take care of that critter, Arlo. We're going to get that out of the way. To me, that was just too blaringly obvious to The Lion King, which is one of the greatest animated films of all time. And again, I have no problem with them having a similar storyline with the dad leaving and having this adventure where Arlo had to grow up because I loved Arlo's character and I loved the faults that he had. As a Oh, yeah. But I, it, it, I, I don't know. And I don't know what was kept from the original, how this was added on. Obviously, time was in the essence yeah, apparently, like, like it got to where like John Lasseter and Lee Unkrich um, and and others were assigned parts of the film while they were looking for new directors, and so I don't want to say hodgepodge, but I felt it looks like you know from my perspective, it just seems like they had to juggle a lot, and that's a huge challenge, and you got to give Pixar credit for that, but it just feels it it shows that it had such a rocky production history. Anyway, and, we'll get we'll get a little more into what we loved about it and, and stuff because there are some really strong points of the film. Yeah. I want to be like a I don't want to be a negative Nancy. <laughs> but yeah. Negative Ned. Negative Ned. All right, so I love the music though. <laughs> Papa, <laughs> there should have been some sort of. <laughs> no, but I mean, like the the music had a really cool. Like bluegrass at some point, but then it also oh, had, like, the music man influences there, West. and I just felt like, wow, this is something I would love to just go and buy and listen to, just because yeah, yeah, like so many of things that I love in it. No, 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 forget cars. This is what Western. This is what country music should sound like for an animated film. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so peaceful, so pastoral, and and it just had. I don't know. It it really made me believe that these dinosaurs were farmers and ranchers. <laughs> it sounds so silly saying it, but they pulled it off. Yeah. All right. Real talk, y'all. We All have right. to talk about the photorealistic backgrounds. Did they work? This is quoted uh, from their production. In order to achieve the needed realism, artists traveled to the American Northwest, and I would end that sentence with and then they brought the entire american northwest back to star in the film <laughs> because it is exact an, exa an exact rendition never have i seen such fidelity and rendering and shading in such a big animated film it's like they took the concepts from blue umbrella and blew it up to make these amazing landscapes they even brought in geographical data to 
to as a base to build the environments visualization but but it was i mean it was gorgeous congratulations are definitely in order but it just didn't fit in with the characters I just, Maybe I'm making a mountain out of, the, out of a molehill, but it was so distracting how the characters were so stylized, beautiful in their own right. And it was, it, it felt like between the actual animals themselves, it was, there were discrepancies with the, with the surfacing and rendering. Like when the little furry critters come out and laugh at Arlo, like they, they look nothing like him. Yeah. And so I guess I just couldn't catch on to the, the goal that they were, or the, the vision that they were trying to achieve with with it really interesting and beautiful to look at but it just they didn't the two didn't fit and I'll, I'll give you i'll give you i guess i guess i'll give you my rationale but i want to hear what you guys think i personally had no problem with it and i you know really was conscious about that and knew that this was something that people had an issue with uh, from the trailers, was this going to work? Was it distracting? And I was not distracted. I, I felt that, hey, they tried something new. They have these photorealistic backgrounds and these characters that are very Gumby-esque and cartoony. However, I was never distracted by them at all. And maybe that's because I don't necessarily focus on them as much as you would being, you know, the actual estudiante. <laughs> uh, I prefer the term prodigy. <laughs> yeah. I... I... I had moments where it bugged me, but the other moments I just tried to focus on the characters themselves, and I appreciated very much. At first, holy mackerel, the the water was amazing in the very first scenes where they're just like you just see everything moving and beautiful, gorgeous. And oh, I yeah. I did go into it thinking, am is this going to bug me? Because I know that it did. I had that question: Would it bug me? And I really. It didn't bother me. Once I knew who to focus on, I was focusing there. Okay, so it, it had an establish it had establishes focal points and composition wise, it didn't distract the eye, I guess, from what was really going on on screen. Mm -mm. It was the same for me. It was just kind of really weird. Like they, you know, such a lot of that stuff is procedurally animated. Like the computer does a lot of the work. Okay. I don't want to say the computer does a lot of the work for you. That would be insensitive to the artists, but with procedural um, modeling and stuff like that, the computer can achieve the scale that the artist can control uh, pretty quickly, you know, relative to like five years ago or 10 years ago. Right. I guess given the stylized design of the characters, do you guys remember the crudes? Yes. Do you remember that? I hate to mention the name DreamWorks while we're discussing a Pixar film, but here we go. The Croods, where the artists invented, like literally invented an entire world with its own flora and fauna that fit well together and that the characters looked at home in. Now, granted, yeah. in Pixar, um, with this film, The Good Dinosaur, um, it... Um, it's not like it wasn't like a crappy green screen effect where it definitely did not look like Arlo belonged in those environment. They integrated those characters so well. Um, it was ridiculous. Like the part where Arlo gets out of the Creek bed, you know, the first of many times that he falls into the Creek and almost dies at the river and almost dies, comes out all bruised and stuff. He lifts his head and all that water is dripping off and you hear the trickling of the water, like all that stuff feels and looks so real. I just couldn't get over the fact that the environments were so photorealistic to what we know in our world. Um, when there are other films that have built just, you know, impressive film environments 
that were more stylized and did match the stylization of the characters. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. I don't know. I know that some people were a little, a little not disturbed, not put off, but just like, huh, about it. Fans have definitely noticed the photorealistic environments. There was one Reddit user uh, that I was reading, you know, reading up on some some threads, and he commented that this was one of the first times an animated film's environments contributed to their emotional reaction to the film as a whole. And I agree there. I feel like the huge positively and that it really conveyed a sense of grandeur a sense of the wild you know the rustic Mm -hmm. outdoors the american northwest which you know global audiences haven't really seen a lot of you know like this so it is kind of cool yeah they i remembered an, an interview with the director where he talked about how the the environment itself is a character the environment is the one that there is no like set um, antagonist, but it is the the whole everything. You know, Mother Nature in itself. To those who are not prepared, are scared. Mother, Mother Nature. Mother Nature is the antagonist in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they talked about how the clouds. Uh, normally, they're just matte paintings. The clouds in in previous Pixar films, but they went with full particle simulation to make these dynamic clouds that really looked and felt menacing. And and now with what you can do with computer technology, an artist can control these clouds, these particles, and basically animate them the way you would a character. It's it's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I was waiting for something at the end uh, to to happen. You know, for X. A scene at the end and I was sitting next to these ladies and it was really frustrating to me because they were commenting on the the end credits and they one thing there was a specific credit that went to someone who on the team basically it was a fancy name for they were in charge of the clouds yeah like oh my gosh like look at that like really there's a credit for someone just to do crap clouds and then as as we go into like the full credits they're making fun of like so many things like really like why so many animators or (laughs) department for clouds what is this i bet they i bet they talked exactly like that oh my (laughs) gosh who you were like production babies. What? Like, really? Do we need to give credit to the babies that were born during production? Like, wow. Yes. Longest credits ever. Do they have any idea the hours that animators pull oh when God. they're trying to meet a deadline? I was sitting there and I wanted to be like, "Excuse me, yes, we need to give credit to the legal and marketing team because they worked hard too. Yes, the babies were important." But I, I was just like, <laughs> "That's great." And we should do a we should do some we should do a PSA series on on the rotoscopers YouTube being like hey real talk don't make fun <laughs> of people in the credits like i don't th- i don't think that there's a lot of audience viewers who sit back and they're like oh, who cares about best boy you know <laughs> or whatever the why so many animators okay if it was one dude animating this it would have been released like 5 years from now <laughs> all right let's talk Speaking of which, uh, I loved the animation. I don't want to make I, I don't want people to feel like I'm like downing this movie. I just didn't like that one aspect of it. Um, but I thought the animation was masterful. Like Pixar animators nailed it, as they usually do. Quadrupeds, as I have learned throughout the semester, taking a quadruped rigging and animation class. Yeah, strictly quadrupeds. They're hard to animate. Enough said. I mean, it's like a simple walk cycle is one thing, but like achieving so much expression 
out of these long naked apatosauruses must have been incredibly challenging like a couple things to watch for if you plan on seeing this movie again notice how arlo's feet squash and expand against the ground they preserve their volume dynamically every time arlo takes a step and then watch how each character in the film is animated to have a specific sense of weight and momentum and inertia you know arlo like struggles to climb out of the river you know the seven or eight times he falls in and the tyrannosaurs they gallop like horses which is a really cool detail i thought that was an awesome touch you know i I would have never thought of something like that well because they're ranchers and if you know they're typically the ranchers they're ranchers they're going to be on horses but they're not riding horses they basically they got the horse part covered because but probably better and so i thought that was amazing that they were just their walk cycle which we've never seen a dinosaur in real life we could assume but right on that of a horse it was it was brilliant yeah no as i was walking out another family they were like oh my gosh i couldn't stop laughing at that when they were galloping off like horses it was amazing oh so cute it was cute and i was like that's i really appreciate that i can give you honestly it was interesting though like at first when i was looking at those guys um i got a real like joe dirt vibe from joe the voice dirt. Acting. <laughs> i haven't but seen they... joe dirt in like 15 years <laughs> i know but it was like this just really feels like very joe dirty right now um joe dirty then after that i was like okay they're actually putting forth the john wayne cowboy all right i got that with the big guy all right no no and sam then... elliott is a cowboy he is literally the cowboy character <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then um right after that they had the wrestlers the the cattle wrestlers the longhorn wrestlers, wrestlers which they totally reminded me off of that the the band of hoodlums off of pete's dragon oh, the... <laughs> There's the like, hillbillies the hillbillies yeah the like, degenerate hillbillies i want to capture the dragon and make peace life miserable yeah the, yeah <laughs> i i really hope they don't sugarcoat that when they make the peace dragon remake like these need to be i bathe <laughs> i bathe thrice a year maybe on a good year hillbillies i wonder are they going to be putting it into like modern days or they're going to stick it back in that time period i don't know bring it put it back in kentucky where it belongs but yeah <laughs> um so let's just launch into the characters small cast but i don't feel like any of them were wasted i feel like some of them were underused however so um i love how uh when buck's born you instantly understand his personality he just grabs a stick and starts whacking his dad (laughs) (laughs) and then arlo's gonna hatch and buck just trots up and (laughs) (laughs) i love it and uh, I like his family. I like how his dad always has something profound to say. You know, I was like, mm, major theme of the film right there. <laughs> Every time he says something, you got to make your mark. Sometimes you got to be part of something bigger than yourself, son. Mm-hmm. Kill that critter. <laughs> always, <laughs> always good words to live by. <laughs> and then the critter. Spot is literally a dog. Yeah, as I was watching this, I was thinking, that's got to be horrible for his back. That little back, man. Whew. Oh, his little his little amble when he crawls on the ground is so cute. So going to Arlo, Arlo was my favorite character in the film. I absolutely Ooh. loved how um, how he was just... His, his fear crippled him. 
Yeah. It was it was a huge uh, flaw in his character and something that he needed to overcome. But it was all it was so crippling uh, that it was almost endearing to him because he was so cute and you saw that he tried so hard and he really did you know want to do well and 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 you know make his mark and 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 show papa and mama that he he could do stuff and he could be good too and and he just couldn't do it and it just, at times wasn't in his nature and it took him a lot longer but i thought he was absolutely adorable he was my favorite character oh I'm sure he was quite relatable to some people who are, you know, almost crippled by fear or they have these things that despite people telling you, just get over it. Why don't you just suck it up or do this? Where there are some things that you just can't do that for, or it takes a long time. Um, and so I absolutely love that about his character. Yeah. Arlo was totes adorbs. Mm-hmm. I love his I relationship. His relationship with Spot is not completely original, but it's something that we love to see. Two mm -hmm. unlikely companions, you know, I, who learn to learn to rely on each other. Although I think Spot had like some major survival skills that Arlo didn't have. <laughs> yeah. I, well, like, Arlo and Spot, their relationship was the one of the best parts of the film. It it was at its highest when, well, was it at its highest? There's, I I'm I'm not sure, but. The scene where they where they figure out they have a common bond. The Twig families. The Twig families. There was there was a family behind us. They had a little daughter who was bawling during that part. She was wailing. I don't know if that was was that was that a little girl or was that the mom? I don't know. I that's where I got really emotional, and I felt like that was the high the high point of the relationship for me just because I felt after that, I, I really didn't, I don't know. I didn't really like later on, I didn't care whether or not spot went off with his family and I didn't, it, it was just weird how I, like I cared, but then I stopped caring as much being just like, I don't know what they're trying to make me feel right now. <laughs> so much emotion. Um, <laughs> I feel like their relationship was strongest when Arlo wakes up and Spot is going to pee, and it's like. <laughs> then he looks back and he's like 50 yards away, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Spot is super cute. Uh, he's all about conveying emotion and intention without dialogue, which is a huge challenge for animators. And I feel like they tackled it head on and found a great system for Spot. Like he is very dog-like, you know, he has the emotions and facial expressions of a dog. Like I could see our dog at home being like, you know, <laughs> when, you try to, when we try to talk to her. And, uh, I don't know. It's it's so cute how they kind of establish this kind of critter vibe, you know, the, you know. You know, you did talk about the, the visuals, and that was one thing, although the backgrounds did not distract me from the, you know, the cartoony characters, I you mentioned this, but I did feel that the critters were so different from even the dinosaurs that I was kind of distracted by them because their look was just funky. Um, yeah, and that might that might do have eyes and I was yeah. distracted by that. That might have to do with like, you know, in pre-production they had already tacked down and approved several characters, and they were like, uh, let's not go back and change this. It'll take too much time to change this person. Let's just keep it in there. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Character. I felt 
Woodbush, who <laughs> freaking Woodbush, a completely different film. Dude, I felt like we were watching the Coen Brothers uh, version of <laughs> True Grit, the one from 2010. Just random weird characters popping up out of nowhere, and then you never see them for the rest of the film. Yeah, you know, he was he was there to establish that pivotal point where Arlo owned a spot, where Arlo owned spot. Right. There's this weird thing. You name him, you keep him, I guess. I, I and know. um. That's right. I like uh, where he's like, this is Dream Crusher. He helps me to not have unrealistic goals. (laughs) So strange. What's funny is that the the phrase of you name him, you keep him is actually a long time principle in many cultures where it's like by naming somebody, that's why we name our, our children. That's why we name pets and whatever. Like we take ownership of them. Yeah, it's like, oh, you name them, and then... (laughs) (laughs) Don't give the cat a name! (laughs) (laughs) We're making empanadas next week. But yeah, Um, he was so weird. I loved him, though. I thought I was like, I want you around more. (laughs) I guess, but I just feel like, I don't know, he was just a really standout character, but he did have a purpose, and he served it, and then poof, goodbye. Just like, uh... what's that? Just like what? Just like the T-Rexes. I felt like they were horribly underused. They are my favorite part of the film. I needed more Texas, I love cowboys. Yes. Simple as that. But what did you feel about the lack of other dinosaurs? Was this supposed to kind of give a realistic sense that, you know, this is an early world where things aren't totally populated every inch? We're also this in is... the wilderness, but there were, you know, we didn't even see dinosaurs passing. We saw the T-Rexes, we saw Forrest, we saw the farming family, and then the pterodactyl. Uh, oh, and the raptors, but it was just interesting. The rustlers. A lot of just, you know, other dinosaur groups hanging out together. Right. I think I think what they were going for is what I call the in and out formula, where you keep your menu simple. And uh, so they had very little to offer in as far as the cast, but the quality, well... I don't know. If you like In and Out, then you would assume that the quality is good. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad. Maybe that's a bad comparison because I don't like In and Out. But uh, I'm a water, I'm a Waterburger guy. Sorry, Waterburger's where it's at. I've never eaten at Waterburger. Also, go to go to Austin. There's a place called P Terry's. It's the same exact thing as In and Out. It's way better. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. I'm hungry actually. And then. Um, I think they wanted to convey the sense that they're out in the wilderness, you know, they're out in the prairie. There's not a lot of folks mm-hmm. around. And when you do meet them, they're usually weird and, and want to kill you or want something <laughs> from you, you know? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, there were plenty of animals, just not a lot of dinosaurs. I don't know. That is a good point. Anyway, I love, I love to hate the creepy thrill seekers, pterosaurs, thunderclap downpour and cold front shark bait (laughs) the storm will provide yeah how do you okay how do you feel about this i want to know your opinion on this one animation fan on message boards called him the best pixar villain since lotso was he a good villain thunderclap no i did not think he was that great of a villain i think he definitely not he only served the one purpose to be the bad guy in the film. So we introduced him. We kind of established his character very subtly. If you would pay attention, they're they're always talking about the storm provides, and we're gonna go save this critter or eat him. Like they're very clear in what they're they're doing, but you don't realize it until later when it's actually 
them they're trying to eat. But um, I I didn't th- think they were great villains at all. I didn't feel necessarily we needed villains. Why did we need them? I feel that maybe the the elements could have been the villain ultimately in the end. Yeah. Um, I thought that Thunderclap was an interesting character and that he had weird motivations, like the whole, like, don't talk to me like that. I have seen the eye of the storm, you know? He's like, I had a revelation. You mean a revelation? No, a revelation. And he's clearly a little off his rocker. I love how they stylize those beaks coming through the... um, Like sharks? Yeah, coming through the clouds like sharks. That was brilliant. That was cool. That was super cool. Um, but I, I do not think he even waves a stick at uh, Lotso Huggin' Bear. I don't even know if that's a proper term for that. But you can't really compare the two. Lotso's whole thing was this was this like very elaborate deception you know, of gaining the trust of the toys so that he could be in power so he could never not be loved again because of this deep desire to never be abandoned. And he will stick to that at all costs, sacrificing whoever he needs to. And then you've got Thunderclap, who is hungry and a little crazy. (laughs) Yeah. When you boil him down to the bare ingredients, that's what we got. And he's an interesting villain, maybe even an appealing villain, but the best Pixar villain since Lotso, eh. Can't agree with that. Mm-hmm. We got uh, one one listener on our chat saying, I hated Thundercloud and his lackeys. They're not great villains and just, ugh. Frank Foster I thought saw them more like the hyenas in the Lion King. And I'm like... Okay, I saw the raptor rustlers more like the hyenas. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't... I was thinking Peach Dragon, so... <laughs> Yeah, that, I, that too. I love how the Raptors have this like these like this like long hair, you know. Uh huh. Definite hillbillies. I love the and part that, introduced. Oh, I love the part where we're introduced to the T Rexes and. Oh, Butch Nash and Ramsey. Very first in, in inclination is like, uh oh, T Rexes. They're always bad. Ugh. Always bad. Dinosaur. Right. Land before time. One through sixteen. Sharp tooth. Ooh-ha. Yeah, sharp tooth. Sharp tooth. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park. Actually, the T-Rex is kind of a good guy in the last one. Both of them, actually. A terrible film. But uh, <laughs> they're, they're not bad guys. Thank you, Pixar, for not doing that. Like, they're ranchers now. It's genius, and I'm not being sarcastic. Like, I really think that was great. I loved how they were these rugged cowboys, you know, bragging about their battle scars and stuff. You know? I, th- I felt like they left the picture too soon. I wish they could have come back and helped out uh, with uh, taking care of Thunderclap and all that. Yeah. It was almost like, you know how in, um, I guess it's one of those stories of like somebody going from one place to another. It's like, they're just, these are just the people that they end up meeting here, 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 and then they never actually meet them again. Um, but you miss them though. You're like, oh. It's just lessons learned, like on the trail. You think he'd come back, like at the end, like they did with Finding Nemo, where it was like, hey, just ask my friend, the shark. And I was <laughs> like, hello, Nemo. Making it to school today. I can't, I haven't, it's been a while since I've seen Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> Bring him back. Bring him back. T Rex is like, it's been three weeks since my last dinosaur on my his little his little arms on my honor or maybe <laughs> chopped up and made into boots, you know. <laughs> Sam Elliott killed it. He was the perfect like voice for uh for uh for Butch. He made me want to buy a Dodge Ram so badly. 
when he's like rustlers i can't even i can't even approach that voice power of his you did a good job rustlers. you know john wayne is a hard one to pull off for a lot of people most people well it's actually yeah sam elliott I, I don't know how much of john wayne he was actually um projecting but it, you know a little bit i guess I, I just uh, the slow talking. You gotta talk slower, man, and then they'll understand you. Fill your hand, you son of a gun. Yeah, <laughs> I, I felt like the, I, I would have loved to. Of course, if this was any other studio, they would it would have been rife with Western quotes. You know, I would have appreciated one of, them though. One of the Raptors is like, I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat dinosaur. You know. <laughs> Anyway, and then there's the humans. You just kind of see them creepily crawling up to you. So oh, I they're howling. Like one of the problems with the human relationships was that I didn't feel like I could relate to them as an actual human. Um, well, because you're not a Neanderthal. Obviously. Obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> but I just... I don't know. I just felt like it was just too far removed. Like they should have had some type of maybe him not on his hind legs the entire time or something. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. I think they were just trying to show how primitive these humans are since they weren't really given the time to be the dominant species. And remember the dinosaurs didn't go extinct. Like they've been around on earth way, way, way longer. Mm -hmm. If anything, the dinosaurs should be, it's raw. It's, it's weird that the dinosaurs weren't all on two feet. You know, our load. Like, you get down for that tree. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh. Okay. I have a question here. Did that family adopt Spot? Because that was clearly not. No, no, no. Let me, uh, let me let me interpret how that scene went. If they were, if the characters could talk, Spot looks at them and he's like, and he looks back at Arlo and he goes back to him. He's like, wait, no, that's not my family. I remember. We can go now. And Arlo's <laughs> like, no, you have to go with them. It's time to separate. And Spot's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know these people. Like, this is just a family of randos. Like, I'm not Stranger going with them. They're strangers. And Spot's like, no, no, you have to go now. It's the only way he pushes him back. Go with your new family. Spot's like, but, 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 okay. But that, that moment we had. Did we have a moment? I, I thought you were going to be like co-head of the ranch. <laughs> I don't know where these people have been. <laughs> That's how the scene went. They should have a subtitled, they should have a subtitled fan edit or fan dub where Arlo's like, uh-uh, man, I'm not going with them. They're just a bunch of strangers. <laughs> no, you have to go. Leave me be. It was so, and that's like, I'm thinking, okay, are they trying to put a thing of, you know, anti-domestication? You know, we shouldn't have pets. They should just let them run free in the backyard and let nature take its course. I don't know. Like, yep. <laughs> like, what is the deal I with this? Else, he needs to be with his species. He needs, it was better for him to grow with his own species and his own kind where he can... Yeah. No, not be the only one of him, you know, not saying that we shouldn't keep humans as pets, but man cannot stay in the jungle. Um, <laughs> Rudyard Kipling, he knows. Okay. But in all seriousness, it did make sense that 
Spot did miss his family and he was sad about it when he put up his, his stick family, what? you know, and he was sad about it. And he was like, oh, oh, that was cute. They share a howl, um, a good old, good old bro howl. I mean, um, it's and like so he, he was world. motivated. He was motivated to stay with them. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's, it's like the go with your own kind, be free. I don't know. I just felt like, hey, was there an actual relationship here or not? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> SpongeBob. I thought what we had was special. <laughs> but, okay, okay, so may, okay, so you're you're asking the question, why even have that scene when it when Arlo and Spot became so close in the first place? Why why separate them? Yeah, well, it it just I mean, felt you saw like there Ice was Age, no right. right. Well, I just felt like there wasn't a like a real when they separated from each other. I didn't feel like there was enough angst in that. I guess we did a swell of music in the orchestra. I don't know, and it's I think that's where I was like, I was like, I don't know what they want me to feel right now. Do they want me to? have spot be feel good that spot goes off with his clan or it do should he stay with arlo i felt confused as to why i should want him to go either way and that's why i mentioned earlier i didn't really care whether he went either way i was just you know what the filmmakers wanted chelsea what tell me they wanted you to pack up and move to montana <laughs> Montana Tourist Association or Wyoming. No, no, literally on on the radio on satellite radio the other day they were talking it was a literal commercial for Mo Tourism Montana and they were like, "Did you know that Disney Pixar's recent film The Good Dinosaur um, you know, I don't want to say was shot entirely in Montana, <laughs> but you know, the, they mentioned the good dinosaur. Now you can visit it, the magic of Montana in real life. I, I can't do as good a sales pitch as they were doing, but I, the cynical person in me would think that the whole film was just a, a, a commercial for tourism Montana, which it wasn't, obviously. Um, I, I guess I didn't really, I wasn't super captivated by this moment because the story itself wasn't super captivating as a whole, mm -hmm. which brings me to a pretty important point about this film. Um, oh, first of all, I have to share with you my wife's version of the good dinosaur that she thought up. Um, <laughs> Arlo gets swept away by the Creek bed. He wakes up, gets out of the river a few yards away from his house. He goes back home. He continues to be cowardly. The end. <laughs> you got, you, you got yourself a short right film. I thought he would wake up right next to his dad somewhere or like <gasps> the Ew. elephant graveyard type. I was like, oh no. His you know, evil his evil uncle Rufus <laughs> or Silas. I was surprised <laughs> in some of the reviews that I read that they I think I even did this too because everyone else was doing it. I was like, okay, I guess this is something we'd want to hide. But they didn't mention that the dad had died. Instead, they said, when he becomes separated from his family, he needs to find his way home. And just like, I don't know. I didn't think that was a big secret. Dude, that maybe that's a synopsis from a previous version of the script. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Okay. After years of watching movies and being exposed to Pixar, I've come to realize that Pixar is great at telling strong stories, not necessarily original stories. Ratatouille is a super original story. Brilliant. 
the good dinosaur is a strong story but it's not an original story i i, I guess i've seen too many western films or whatever but i felt like i could predict like what was going to happen in the next sequence all the pieces sort of fit together that doesn't mean i thought the story was bad it just it was well crafted and it was strong it just wasn't super original like i felt like i was expecting everything that was going to happen see and i didn't even think it was strong just for the reasons that i mentioned before Yeah, uh, the exposition is well-crafted. Yeah. I love the farm scene. Yeah. I thought that was the parts of it. I love how that smart it was. There, there's no need for a cheesy voiceover for us to figure it out. It's not like Arlo's like, hey, guys, my name is Arlo. Boy, it sure is hot out here. This is my farm. <laughs> I was born a baby dinosaur, obviously. <laughs> you know? Look at I, my little I, knees. They can barely keep me up. I wish they could. <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, what was that movie that had Matt Damon in it? And he was just narrating the whole thing. Um, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, or Home, that kid just would not shut up. My name is O. I have gotten this name from my many friends. And it's just like, <laughs> I love you, DreamWorks. That's why I'm not going to turn this movie off. <laughs> but I, I do not like that kid from Big Bang. <laughs> it's something about his voice. Anyway, um, the exposition is well-crafted. It, it's, it's brilliant. They don't need to tell us anything. They show us a farm. Okay, a farm. Then they show a dinosaur tending to it. Okay, dinosaurs are now farmers. That's how you make the connection. And it, well, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, the exposition before that with the asteroid setting right. up how this how we got there. No yeah. words. How did we get to this? This film, I think, would have been stronger with, well, except for I love my uh, my T Rexes, but it, this would have been stronger. You know Morgan. <laughs> I love my T Rex. This would have been strong. Um, it would have been interesting without words. And I remember there was Whoa. the film Walking with Dinosaurs came out a few years ago and it's very photorealistic dinosaurs and scenes and they cheesy voiceovers cheesy dialogue over it it was like we don't need any of this i can tell there's a love interest i tell i can tell you're migrating from one place to another because that's what all dinosaurs do <laughs> they're so expressive in in everything like you i could have gotten the fact that arlo was a wimp and he couldn't get over his fear and this was a problem for him and that yeah I would have loved to see that, but was you think Pixar would have been brave enough to do that? Probably not. I don't know. They did it for like 45 minutes with Wally. -E. Well, that's true. They are brave enough to do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know. I, I, I like the dialogue. I, I feel like it works. Um, it's just the setting is so, um, so true to real life that it's kind of kooky that they're talking. I don't know. I'm going back to the thing. I don't know. Uh, Frank Foster put it really well. The story is familiar, but I still enjoyed it. That's how I feel. So I'm always someone in the Timothy in the chat reminded me of this. And I had been saying this since the very beginning, since the trailer, first trailers that I saw, you know, and they, they talked about this dinosaur film that said, what happens if the, the asteroid missed the earth and dinosaurs were still around? To me, I always interpreted that as what would happen if dinosaurs were still around in modern day. That is a very, very interesting story to me. And I would, and this, yes, this was technically millions of years. 
destroyed, but it was still almost a historic time frame. Um, it is a story, but man, could you imagine if there was a story about like dinosaurs? I'm thinking Shark Tale with dinosaurs and humans. <laughs> That's not a good idea. <laughs> Put okay. Will Smith in there. <laughs> He'll make it all better. But yeah, Timothy said, I think this would have been a more interesting story if it had been told of how humans and dinosaurs started to build a more integrated slash cooperative society. Well, what about a society that's not cooperative? What if there are wars between the dinosaurs? Yes, then it's Turok all over again. <laughs> I mean, you can see, like, I can see elements of, say, like a Jurassic Park type, but with dinosaurs being a little bit more some being more friendly, some being more domestic type. I use quotes for that, but um, just how, you know, humans can still fear them. Just, you know, the sheer size of them, please don't step on me. Um, and then there's also like, Hey, they've got teeth. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like it could have been a revamped style of that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. Maybe maybe it was even an earlier version of the story where there were, originally was this scenario where dinosaurs and humans coexisted. I don't know. Interesting. Zootopia, but with dinosaurs <laughs> and, and humans. I'm so excited for Zootopia. Dude, how about that sloth trailer, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so cute. All right. So... I like the story about making your mark. I like being part of something bigger than yourself. I'm, I'm with Morgan. I feel like Arlo needed to go on a journey that only he could complete so that he could learn this lesson for himself. Mm -hmm. the, his dad's uh, way of resolving his fear was not personal to Arlo. Like it, it didn't really work with Arlo. It worked with the dad. It's probably something that he went through as a child and, and he was better for it. And, uh, parents learn you know they try what you know their parents did for them even you know maybe they didn't like it and then you kind of have to realize every child is different you need to adapt and... yep dad yeah, yeah with me dad was always like yeah but what would godzilla do mason i was like <laughs> he would protect humans not destroy them <laughs> sort of um you know, we're talking 70s Godzilla, not really getting into the 90s. He turned evil again then. All right. Can we please, please talk about the rotten fruit sequence? Oh. There are entire subreddits. No, not subreddits. There are entire, like, discussion board threads dedicated to the sequence and how people have a problem with it. Concerned parents on the IMDb message board saying they should not have allowed this to be in a Pixar film. I sort of agree with them, and I will tell you why. After this commercial break, I'm just kidding. This episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. <laughs> Coming up next, five reasons why you missed, why you are not a true Pixar fan, you know. <laughs> Your eyes will bleed when you see this blatant mistake in Marvel's Ant-Man. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Your eyes will bleed. All right. Today, uh, a friend of mine who is an artist and a pillar of the College Station Texas Aggie community, um, he told me about he was having to explain to his child that in fact narcotics are not as fun as the good dinosaur made them out to be and i thought it was interesting um that is that his kid thought that uh hey that looks like fun um that part was fun but given that there are children watching the film and that the subject matter involves children 
I felt like they didn't push the whole negative consequences of drugs thing a little <laughs> bit more. Like they could, they could have gone a little, okay. Um, and okay. Some, some people are like, Hey, back off. Like it, it was just random. It only lasted like 20 seconds. It's not a big deal. I thought it was hilarious as an adult, but I guess the empathetic side of me was like, what are these kids thinking about all of this? Like everybody seems to be laughing. I think we were laughing just because we were horrified by how bizarre everything was that we were watching. It was like pink elephants on parade, but like <laughs> super, super crazy. Like congratulations, Pixar. You, you pulled off some really interesting, bizarre, surreal animation, but like, I don't know. Narcotics are not cool. <laughs> oh man. They are not cool. That is the moral of this story. <laughs> yeah, like, narcotics are not cool. That could be the title for this episode. <laughs> nah, then people will be like, oh, they're no fun. They didn't like, they were offended by that. I wasn't offended. I was just like, whoa, Pixar. Like, there's even that part where, um, where um, Ramsey, I think her name was, the girl T-Rex was like, yeah, just like you, kicking, a, kicking around a bunch of bullshit. You know, and they totally like, okay, they put that in Finding Nemo, so it's not that shocking. But like, you know, Pixar's known for that kind of stuff. But like, the whole narcotic rotten fruit thing was, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. I was not offended by it. I guess I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, if, I didn't, as if, a you're, if you're a smart, if you're a smart mother or father, you will warn your kids about the negative consequences of narcotics after the fact. Is that Pixar or Disney's job for this? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. To, to like give us that moral lesson. Like do, does every time a, a bad situation comes up that they have to present it in a way that, you know, so society will not be sheep and follow us and think that drugs are cool. Yeah. And, and they, they showed that they were, they were pretty sick to their stomachs after that. And, um, you know, they, they showed the, the letdown from the high after that. And so I get, I get that, you know, I, I felt like that was well communicated, but you know, maybe they could have pushed that a little further. Maybe they should have had them, you know, run at the sight of dead fruit later on in the film, you know, like never again. <laughs> oh, stay away. Or just, just, just show a scene of them vomiting gratuitously for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, then the kids will be like. Oh, okay, yeah. Don't eat strangely fermented fruit off the ground. Like birdie. like they taste like birdie. Like they call them fingers, but I've never seen them thing. But yeah, um, there's my one Simpsons quote of the century. Um, so anyway, so um, oh, I thought this was funny. Uh, I, I like to I like to look and see what the buzz is on like Reddit and stuff on these message boards. Someone commented, someone commented, "Don't worry, one can easily fan edit this out." So what is fan editing and how is it a thing? I've never heard of this fan editing. Like, what is it? Do they just know. take the parts they don't like and be like, "This is my fan edit of the Good Dinosaur. This is how I. This is my vision for the film." <laughs> Got it. It's like I bet John Lasseter and the other directors at Pixar are like, oh, okay, okay, you know, like it just seems kind of weird. That is odd. I don't know what that is. Somebody, please, in the comments, let us know. <laughs> I'm making it a big deal that it was just a huge shocking scene. Like, 
<laughs> oh yeah, this person's this person on the chat is like, yeah, I'm gonna make a fan version. I'm gonna make a fan edit without dialogue. Adam W. <laughs> Just replace every sound effect with a from Tim Allen. <laughs> yes. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that YouTube video, but um, anyway, lots of tangents today. So speaking of tangents, here's a little random tidbit. Co-producer Lee Unrich, Unkrich, I, I can never get his name right. I'm sorry for butchering it. Lee Unrich, Unkrich. He tweeted earlier that the Pizza Planet truck appears twice in the film. Uh, I thought I saw a rock that looked like the Pizza Planet truck. I, I did not see it. It, I, it never came up when I. Some I, people, have, people have spec. Some people have speculated that it appears in the narcotic sequence, as I've come to call it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll have to look at that later on. It was probably I don't know. like somewhere tucked away down there, like hidden. Maybe he's just thing. trolling it. Maybe she's trolling it to get like that 0.5% of Pixar films that will only see them if they have the three essential ingredients. Pizza Planet Truck, A A113, and um, The Ball, and then throw in John Ratzenberger as a bonus. Wait, was John Ratzenberger in this at all? He was in it. He was the fourth Raptor wrestler. Oh, okay. Wow, they're really uh, not using their lucky charm as much anymore. Yeah, he gets like one line, then he dies. <laughs> Oh, yes, he does. Don't worry, we'll see plenty of the Underminer! <laughs> so I'm reading an interview with Denise Reem. She uh, worked on The Good Dinosaur, and she mentions about the Pizza Planet truck. She says, uh, Pizza Planet truck was hard, and it's going to be the hardest thing for people to find personally. I think it's a hard one. Uh, you know how much... Yes, and so that's kind of what she says. So... And it's gonna be tricky. Get ready. That's really interesting. They also have, uh, you know, always Pixar staples are the the Pixar ball and yeah. something reflective about the future film, right? She also says finding Dory. That one's gonna be tricky too. Says, can you tease one of them? She's like, I can tease one. One is related to Pete's son. That's fun. I've got one that is a homage to my. The university that I attended. This is an interesting interview because they literally like every um and the and, and weird nuance in her. They uh. Oh, they probably literally took a Google um. Yeah. The, message so, transcript. The university she attended, and said I also drove Sanjay Bakshi crazy. So you've got to get this in there, but whatever. I don't know. There's all sorts of homages to people she knew, but. <laughs> Yeah. Also, going back, I think I was just corrected. Obviously, I have no experience with drugs. I think they might have been hallucinogens rather than narcotics. Uh. Someone with uh, someone obviously with more drug experience than I did. Uh, I do just texted me on that, and so sorry. Fact check. Mason doesn't know anything about drugs. <laughs> All right. So you know, one thing we didn't talk about, which is kind of the big selling points in the posters, are the dragonflies. It's supposed to be the big. Oh, I didn't tell him it was you. And I didn't. <laughs> that great. I mean, they were cool, but what, they... what wasn't that great? The the firefly scenes. They're in all the posters. It's supposed to be the big moment, you know. The but I was like, yeah, that's cool, but. Every promotional material on this film is the fireflies. Exactly, but to me, that's not what this movie is about. Is the fireflies? 
know what happened? I bet they had a test screening and people were like, mm, I don't know about this photorealistic background. So they're like, all right, promotional materials, photorealistic backgrounds are out. Show them only the fireflies. Nix the billboard. Nix the billboard. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I'm going to ask everyone who is currently in the chat, and I'm going to give a little time for them to catch up, but let oh, us sweet. know what your favorite part or scene of this film was. Yeah. So while we're waiting for those answers to come in, uh, you know, what are your guys' favorite parts? I love meeting the T-Rex clan and um, his whole you know, lesson that he learns with them. I, th I think it's just, they were just a really interesting part. I was so tickled that they weren't these murderous sharp tooths. Ooh, ha ha. Ooh, ha ha. I love... So that, that was my favorite sequence. I love the stick families. That uh, one wrapped me uh, in really well. Yeah, I think the highlights were just the T-Rex, you know, cowboys. They, you can't really beat them. I think that they were underutilized but yet at the same time maybe be maybe perfectly utilized you don't want to overdo too much of a good thing um so to me that is the highlight so going to other people let's see what they say team X cowboys and the whole thing is what gabriella says so as more of those come in we will read a few of their thoughts so frank foster says the scene with arlo and spot discussing family through sticks and sands i love when pixar or any movie conveys story slash character development through little to zero dialogue again another reason that maybe could have been a really awesome movie without sound <laughs> without sound a silent film yes. yeah but then the cowboys wouldn't have been able to really get arlo's like in there and it's like, Papa! <laughs> Crystal De La Torre, she says, I love Stick Family slash Firefly sequences. Aww. So there is that. All right, so what do you guys rate this film? Oh, boy. All right, so I'm probably going to be rating it the lowest. Ooh. So, Here come the Pixar fans. Yeah. Grab your torch and pitchforks. I and I'm expecting that. Um, like I said before, th there was the part, the two things that I was really, really impressed with were that the fact that they were able to really tie me in at the stick family uh, conversation, and then also the score. Um, those two things were moments that I was like, wow, wow. I mean, not to say that I'm going to discount the animation because the animation was totally there as well. But those are just the things that really grabbed me. And the, the thing that I had the biggest problem with was how I mentioned before, I didn't know how I was supposed to be feeling. Um, I didn't know what they were really trying to get at, at the ending and the conclusion. And so that kind of weighed it down. When I left the theater, I would have given it, you know, higher threes, almost four maybe. But having a couple days later, you know, it's... I'm like, I'm not as on that high. I'm not, yeah, I'm not on the high as much anymore. So I'm just gonna give it three stars. Um, wow. So definitely not a bad film, but it's not gonna be the. It's not a five. Sorry. So that's. Sorry you can, your opinions. Yeah. Holy cow! Laying it down. Oh, one person's totally objective. Uh, Assessment of the film in all caps. I freaking loved this movie. <laughs> Two exclamation points. 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, we have a two out of five from one from one uh, person on the chat. And then we got a couple of favorite scenes that didn't make it. Um, one of them likes the Triceratops scene, the one with the uh, forest. That was cool. I, and then, <laughs> I did like him. Uh, we have um, one user uh, or one person on the chat, never lose magic. Uh, my favorite part was the moment where Arlo's father explained what he had to do to put the footprint along with the others. Ooh, thus setting up a major plot point. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's one thing we didn't talk about. I just loved how this this film simply ended. They were reunited. He made his mark and then, you know, panned to black, basically, or fade to black. I thought that was perfect. He had achieved everything that he wanted to, and he was back with his family, so. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to know what people think I'm going to rate it. Morgan, you go next. Oh, I'm going to rate it four stars. I thought the movie was simply good. The, the film, I mean, it seems every review on the internet kind of used that thing, you know, in the, as their, their hook. But this film was not great. It was not bad. It was simply good. And that's not necessarily bad. There were some things that could have been <laughs> You're bad. good, and that's not bad. <laughs> there were a lot of things that could have been better. I, I really feel that the film to me suffered because at least I associate it so strongly with the Lion King and similar elements to that film. Um, it, it didn't feel entirely original, but that's okay. The, it, the funny thing is there were certain elements that were totally original, you know, farming dinosaurs, uh, ranching T-Rexes that gallop like horses, Forrest the Triceratops, who's the most bizarre thing you've ever seen. I <laughs> Technically, the Styracosaurus. To me, those very original elements were the highlights of the film to me. And I, I liked those enough that, you know, maybe the, I would have liked to have seen the connecting elements and the connective tissue somehow different than just a, a journey story to get back home, you know, back to the Great Valley almost. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so four stars. Okay. Oh, my spider senses are tingling. Chelsea, have you plugged in your phone? Is it is it charged? Um, no, it's not. So I we may might we might like... we might lose her. Please, ex <laughs> please excuse me. her. All right. Well, we got your rating. That is the most important part. Um, I figured that out because I'm psychic and not because I was looking at some chat secret rotoscopers chat. Um, <laughs> okay. Dang, this is hard. Okay, folks, I'm gonna give it four stars. I feel totally confident giving the good dinosaur four stars. It was it was a good film, and the reason why I rate it so high is that for some reason I would love to watch this movie again. There are other anime movies I've seen recently where I was just like, that was so exhausting. I don't want to see that again for a really <laughs> long time. But I could I could watch this movie. I, I I feel the desire to watch it over and over again. I know I know replay value isn't something that I use very much on my own personal rating system, but I the film comes together solidly. It just, you know, it wasn't as super original as Ratatouille or Finding Nemo, you know, or it wasn't, um, it wasn't as, you know, creatively or stylistically amazing as Inside Out, but it had some really solid components and um, I was entertained by it. And so, yeah, four stars. I feel great about using that. There you go.
So we are going to now move into our voicemail section. We had quite a few voicemails for this film, and I was actually really excited because people did want to talk about this, and I don't blame them because it's a Pixar film, for heaven's sakes. So our first one is going to be from Alyssa, who is one of our writers. Hello, Morgan, Mason, and Chelsea. How are you guys doing? I just wanted to... For the show on your last episode, you did a fantastic job, and I wish I could have been there as well. So I decided to interject myself into this next episode. Um, I loved the Peanuts movie. I there's no not enough time in the world for me to describe just how much I loved it. I've already seen it two times. I thought they did such a good job giving these little throwbacks to the original story. For example, they had the name Lil Folk on the back of the Sparkplug comic, and that was the original name of the Peanuts movie that Charles Schultz had originally chose, and he, you guys are right, he hated the name Peanuts, which I agree with. Um, but I just thought they did such a fantastic job with the story and the animation was beyond hope of what I could have wanted. Um, I love the little red haired girl. This is our first time seeing her. I would have preferred more Linus just because I love Linus and there's no such thing as too much. And I had no problem with the Red Baron and I thought the music was fantastic. So thank you all. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving and I can't wait to hear what you have to say next. Um, I would give this movie four out of five stars. All right, bye guys. All right, our next one is from Gabby. Hi Rotoscopers, I've just come back from seeing The Good Dinosaur and it was good. I think the strongest elements of the film were the breathtaking landscapes which bordered on photorealistic at times, Arlo and Spot's relationship, the music and the T-Rex cowboys. Besides that, though, I thought it was a bit too simple story and character-wise, predictable, and it took too many beats from films like The Lion King and, yes, even The Land Before Time. Also, not a criticism, but I was shocked by how tense and violent the film was. What was even up with that acid trip sequence? In short, it was a good but flawed Pixar film, and I would give it three and a half stars. I still think The Land Before Time is the best animated dinosaur flick. Oh, and I like Sanjay Super Team. It was way better than Lava. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. So this is something that people had mentioned in the comments as we were doing this live show, is how kind of somewhat violent this was, or? uh... Yeah, that's a good point. The violence, I love how beaten, bruised Arlo gets throughout the film. Yes. That's some good uh, subsurface scattering. <laughs> or even when um, one of the pterosaurs, they rip off the head of the critter. I mean, that's... no. Is that, Yeah, he eats the critter, or the time where Spot totally rips off the, the head of the bug. I'm very unexpected, but I kind of like that. All right, our next one is from Rachel. Hi, Rotoscopers, this is Rachel, and I've had a chance now to see Good Dinosaur twice, and I really, really loved it. I thought it was a beautiful, classic story of a hero's journey uh, and him trying to find his way back home and making a friend, and in many ways it reminded me of sort of the classic era Disney films of Bambi and Dumbo and Pinocchio and of those films. And if you think about Pinocchio and, and how he is just supposed to learn a lesson about being honest and you look at Arlo and his 
lesson he's learning is to be brave and to conquer his fears. And I also thought of Dumbo with Timothy Q. Mouse and Dumbo and the relationship between Arlo and Spot. And so it just felt really classic to me. And in that way, it was very refreshing from anything else we'd seen or have seen from Pixar. And so I'm just curious if any of you saw any of those uh, connections between sort of classic storytelling in the movie. So uh, thanks so much. And uh, thanks. Thanks, Rachel. So Rachel, actually, um, she's one of our patrons, and she has been a, a very staunch defender of the good dinosaur in her review on her website and also or on her blog. And, you know, in our patron group, we were talking about the good dinosaur. And uh, I think Rachel was actually kind of a bit taken back that more critics and people didn't like this movie and see the good in this film. Uh, but I definitely very much appreciate Rachel being so positive and, and promoting this and going back to, you know, how this relates to other classic Disney films. I think that's one of the things that Peter, the director had mentioned is that he kind of wanted this to pay homage to those films. And as she mentions it now, like, absolutely, you can see similarities to Pinocchio and Bambi, these journey stories of growing up, uh, which is pretty cool. But I just felt that it wasn't as original necessarily as some of those and, and didn't bring much new to the table except for some one-off elements that, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Have we talked right. about the marketing for this film? Some people complained that there wasn't a lot of marketing for it. We've not talked about that. I don't have cable, so I don't know anything about marketing for anything. <laughs> I don't know what kind of Happy Meal toys are out these days. Yeah, I think the, the amount of marketing can sometimes be very subjective based on what you do or do not watch. Uh, you know, if I, I don't watch a lot of, you know, Disney Channel per se. And so I, I miss out on a lot of the marketing that you see on those stations. But I, I felt that it was enough. I didn't feel that this was lacking any more than they would have done for another film. Um, although I did feel that Inside Out had a lot more promotion if you are to compare the two. So our next one's from Ryan, another fellow patron. Hello, Rotoscopers. Ryan Pareto here. Fresh Hi, Ryan. Viewing of The Good Dinosaur. And Pixar has once again produced a thoroughly enjoyable film. And you know what? When Pixar in particular releases a film i love the dialogue that is struck up by its fan base how they'll start ranking the films and bringing up their individual stories as to how these films have become <laughs> so important to them and the good dinosaur joins that legacy now and how how it's amazing that these people have dedicated monolithic hours to make fake water look like real water and how that the foliage and the wide open vistas looked photorealistic at least to my eye but that kind of dedication and passion should really be celebrated i ultimately enjoyed the film like it made me laugh in all the right places and cry in all the others when they were eating the fermented fruit i was the only one laughing at the, that particular point because i think i was the only one who understood what was going on but one inside of getting older you understand other things uh when arlo and spot were howling at the moon a very great tear-jerking moment and I will be giving this film four out of five stars. And again, especially during the holiday season, I, I am thankful for what you guys do. Um, 
hope you had a great Thanksgiving, a great furthermore holidays, and uh, ending with a question. What are some of your favorite Thanksgiving meals? Thank you, and bye. Uh, we had a poll in my office where anyone who walked in a few days before Thanksgiving said, what is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? And I was very surprised the number of people who said, the turkey sandwiches that you make the day after. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, man. It's all about those leftovers. Mine is probably the uh, candied yams. I love the candied yams. We had an unprecedented amount of pies this year mm. of all types. We had like 14 pies for 14 people. It was kind of intense. Mm. Huh. Well, I do love a deep fried, uh, a, a, a fried turkey. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. But when you fry a turkey, it's delicious. So, so good. I hate to use the word moist, but um, let's see. We had a really good addition this year. We had chorizo stuffing and that was really delicious. And then uh, oh, one one holiday season tradition uh, every year is my aunt makes a big plate of her homemade fudge with pecans and without pecans. And man, I slip into a coma after I eat, eat that stuff, but it's so good. Come the to best, my house, Mason. The best coma is the fudge coma. <laughs> All right, our last voicemail today is from good old Sarah. Otis Cooper, so it's me, Sherry, and aka Captain Awesome, and a whole lot of other nicknames. Um, and I'm here to leave a review. Hopefully, I'm not too late for your good dinosaur episode. Um, I haven't seen this yet, unfortunately. Um, I missed the Peanuts movie live stream because I was at the movies, but not to see the Peanuts movie. Sorry. Um, I was actually seeing something else. Um, but I did have a question. Um, I, since. Peanuts was your last episode. What are your thoughts about having um, classic cartoon characters such as Peanuts or Garfield made into CGI movies? I just I thought it could be an interesting discussion. Anywho, I'll let y'all go. Um, bye, Morgan, Mason, and Chelsea. I love you a whole lot. And have a very Merry Christmas. Bye. Aw, Sarah, we love you too. Love you too, Sarah. Um... I would, I'm actually excited about the incoming of all of these different characters um, ever since, even when, since DreamWorks kind of bought up the gambit of all of those other cartoons and they've started putting some of them out really well, I've just been really excited about them. Penis came off great. So thus far, I have not been disappointed. Yeah, in the same way, definitely. No further comment. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I was thoroughly impressed with Peanuts and how they were able to do that well. So un, unlike another film that Chelsea is actually going to be seeing in the next week or so, the up-and-coming Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Alvin! Oh, the road, the road chip? Yeah, about that. Sorry. Forget no. Star Wars, man. It's all about the road chip. Hey, Marissa was excited. We'll be going. Yes. I, I was almost not even going to pass that invitation on to Chelsea because I'm like, she's better than this. But I was like, think of Marissa. Marissa loves this, so. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> hey, gotta do it. 
to everyone who left us a voicemail. Alyssa, Gabby, Rachel, Ryan, and of course, Sarah, you guys are awesome. Uh, please, if you guys would like to leave us a voicemail for the future episode, leave us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails or give us a call at, what is our number? 406-646-6575. Oh. <laughs> and so for our next episode, so we are now chugging along with our patrons choice episodes and I just pulled up the list. And our next one is actually going to be a very interesting film. We are going to be doing Disney's. Okay, guess, guys. Can you guess what the next Disney film we'll be doing is? Hunchback? Oh, sweet. No? no? Less beloved, but maybe has a, a rabid fan base. Less Treasure Planet? Yes, Treasure Planet. Oh, sweet. <laughs> nice. That was a great description, Morgan. <laughs> we are going away from the prehistoric times to the future uh, to a story that is not so original and i'm interested to hear what all of you guys think so if you are a listener definitely go to the bottom of the website that is where i will update our uh future uh recording dates if you'd like to listen to us live we're going to be doing treasure planet and then the week after that or at least our next episode where we do a review will be the box trolls another patron's choice so that is jack's choice and mariah's choice so get ready for those and of course always use our amazon links where you can rent the video have iTunes as well if you would like to rent this or purchase these films so you can watch them as well. That's what we do. Uh, rotoscopers.com slash Amazon where you can uh, go listen to the soundtrack, buy the films, whatever you'd like to do and we get a little uh, it's a way to support the show and we really appreciate it. And uh, for all things about this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash 109. Can you believe that? That's where you can find the show notes, any links that we talked about, any video, definitely go there. And of course, that's where you go after the fact so you can keep the discussion going. There were so many people in the chat today. It was very active and fun, but also the comments after the fact were also very active and lively. I loved going in there and reading other people's thoughts on the film, especially a film like this, which is so fresh and relevant and many people have had the opportunity to see it. And I would love to hear your guys's thoughts on that so go there yeah totally as also um i just wanted to put one more plug in there um we are not going to be doing a best of end of year show i know you guys are all like really sad i'm actually kind of happy because they take forever to do um but instead <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be doing something amazing and i'm so excited about it um I am asking for everybody here who's listening to go ahead and listen to one of our previous episodes, like from one all the way to, you know, last week's episode, find a random episode that you haven't listened to for a while and find like little funny things that maybe we're going to, I would like to do some type of a, like a quiz. Um, like how well do you know the rotoscopers or how well do you know the, um, the animation addicts podcast and then like pick like the hardest questions like who said it you know a random quote here and then we the hosts are going to be answering the questions now this is really oh, funny man. because there's a lot of things in here i'll go back and i'll listen to some of these episodes from you know in in the 30s from when we first started you know and i'm like I can't even remember saying that. Oh my gosh, who said, I can't believe that happened. And so 
I think it would just be really fun for you guys to kind of quiz us to see how much we remember, and then maybe later on we'll we'll compile the, all the questions, and we'll actually create a, a quiz and see who can test the highest on how well do you know the Animation Addicts podcast. Okay, so what I'm going to do for you guys, I'm going to set up a survey. It's going, it's not going to be ready yet if you're listening live, but if by the time you're listening to this, when we uh, are launched our our episode on the audio file, it's going to be rotoscopers.com/slash. Roto survey. How does that sound? Roto survey. You go there, and that's where you're going to be able to type your question and then type the answer. And then what I'll do, I'll have access to the spreadsheet, and I promise, cross my heart, I hope to die, that I will block out the answers so none of us can see that, but at least we can see the question. And then Chelsea can use that to compile the list, or maybe we can have a third party. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll let, maybe we'll let one of the patrons or something, you know, compile the list for us. But that way, everyone can send us those questions. So rotoscopers.com slash rotosurvey. It'll be pretty simple. Give you the opportunity to send any questions and answers you want. But uh, please do that because it's going to be really fun. And then we'll give you guys the opportunity to do that. So Chelsea, that is going to be the episode that, uh, so after Treasure Planet, right? Okay. Yeah. So we won't get to box trolls until January. So we're going to be doing Treasure Planet next and then the next episode after that will be our big end of the year smorgasbord and we'll go from there. Aww. Perfect. <laughs> All right, any last minute thoughts? Oh man, this was a fun episode and we love engaging with uh, our listeners on the chat and and doing all that like we we really like that connectivity. It's all this is all because of our our patrons. They are so important. They're like the lifeblood of all the cool expansions we've been <laughs> doing on the uh, the podcast recently. And so um, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash patron or rotoscopers.com slash patron to learn more about how you can support the show and uh, make a, you know, and make a subscription to the Patreon. And uh, we really, really appreciate y'all support. And we love having like this, like increased connectivity with y'all. It's been super fun. For sure. We're slowly creeping up to our goal of 500 per month, and then we'll start doing our bi-weekly news show. So if you consider being a patron and you would like to see that, well, consider chipping in a few bucks, and we'll all get there together. Yay. Woo! Guys, I'm really excited for our next episode. So everyone, go watch the film and prepare, because we are heading to space. Is it on Netflix? Yes, it is. All right. Most everyone has Netflix, so go there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm there. All right, guys. Until next time.